Well, good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. It is so good to see so many of you here this morning. And um, we've got a whole pack of kids at the back. And um, kiddies, this message is for you too as well. So just so you know, folk, um, I did, and by the way, you can take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. This morning, Luke chapter 1. And I've titled this message, Leaping Babies and Spirit-Filled Ladies. And I told some of the kids, I said, if you guys take good notes, I'm going to give you some chocolates. And I'm going to open that to the adults as well. Can't tell you what kind of chocolate. Don't expect lint or anything. Um... Can you guys believe the price of lint at the moment? I think if we were going to strike outside Parliament on anything, it should be the price of lint. It's way too expensive. Um, But I want to ask you the question, and the question is, what do you find most exciting about Christmas? What is it that really excites you? And I'm not going to ask the boys and girls that question because I know what excites them. It's coming to church on Christmas Day morning. No. (laughs) But we get excited about gifts. We get excited about being together with family, if that is the case. And we get excited about that Christmas Day lunch or the deal that we managed to get at Spa on that roast for only... 199 per kilo, but um, whatever it is that excites us the most, there's one thing that should excite us more than anything, and that is pondering the coming of the Lord Jesus, God sending His Son to earth to be our Savior. The fact that God made a way for you and for me to enter into His kingdom, to get saved, and to have eternal life. And, uh, you know, when, when I was pondering and I was reading this, some of the scriptures that we typically read around Christmas time, and something made my heart leap that I got really excited about. And uh, I want to share some of that with you today. And uh, just to set the stage for you a little bit here in, in Luke chapter 1, is that the gospel of Luke gives us two very unusual, very unexpected pregnancies. And the one is a very, very old lady, and the other one is a very, very young girl. And we've got Elizabeth giving birth to none other than John the Baptist, and we've got Mary giving birth to Jesus. How how old was Elizabeth at this time? She could have been late in her 60s, early in her 70s. We don't know exactly I was thinking of having two people come up, like a girl who's about 14 or 15, and a lady. And by the way, Auntie Emma walked so well up that mountain, Table Mountain, as we were going. I mean, that just blew my mind. Um, And can you imagine Auntie Emma? No, I won't even go there. (laughs) Sorry, please forgive me. 
But, you know, neither of those two Jewish moms expected to be carrying babies at that point. And for Mary, it was long ahead, and for Elizabeth, it was long past. And I want to take you to a scene this morning where these two expectant moms are standing in the same room together, facing each other, and as the one comes into the room, Elizabeth, with John the Baptist inside of her tummy, feels something jump inside of her. And it's John the Baptist who's acknowledged inside the womb that Jesus is in the room. And I don't know, please don't ask me to explain how that happened. I don't know. Okay, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to really try to elaborate on that. But there was something, and... I don't know if you guys ever have that experience when you meet someone for the first time or maybe you're even in a shop and it's a lady at the till and you know that person is a believer. You know they've got Jesus in them. How do you know that? But as the baby jumps, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit of God. So maybe you understand the title now, Leaping Babies and Spirit-Filled Ladies. But as we go into this, and look at that. I want to read and even back up to help you to understand why we make such a big deal of the birth of Jesus. The fact that He came into the world for you and for me. And I'm hoping that for you, this Christmas would just take on a whole new meaning. You wouldn't be getting excited so much about the meals and the Christmas crackers and those silly party hats that you wear. They always break on your head. All those things that you would just think about Jesus and that he would become so great. And so the passage that we are reading is in Luke chapter 1 and from verse 26 where the angel came to Nazareth to come bring this message to Mary that she would give birth to Jesus. So in verse 26, it begins in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And that is, by the way, one thing I can say today. The Lord is here. The Lord is with us. And she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do you know that this word here, found favor with God, is only used twice in the New Testament? And it's used once here for Mary. Guess where it's used the other time? In Ephesians chapter 1, where it speaks of us, those who believe, have found favor with God. Isn't that beautiful? Through Jesus, you today are finding favor with God. How amazing. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes... You could even mark out in your Bible in pencil, three times in this passage we have the words, a son, the son, 
the Son. And here's the first time. He will be great and He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. I like that. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can you say amen to that? And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary rushes now, long trip to Judea. So she's up in Nazareth in the north of Galilee. And it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste. She was just a little bit pregnant at this time into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was her, likely her aunt. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Now, here is this moment, and why would... This baby inside of Elizabeth leaped like this to such an extent when Jesus was in the room. I want to give you three reasons. They're all here in this passage. Three reasons why that baby leaped for joy. Three reasons why you can leap for joy. Three things that God wants you to know today about Jesus. And the first, if you look in verse 32, and and, um, just write these three things down and We'll elaborate on them one by one. But the three things, verse 32, it speaks of Jesus prophesying and saying, He will be great. Can you say that? He will be great. He will be great. And secondly, verse 33, He will reign. Can you say that? He will reign. Better. And thirdly, And it goes down, just dropping down there to verse 35, and it says, he will be called holy. Can you say that? He will be called holy. Now, as we ponder these three things, and I want to look around that, um, as we think about these, just what is the significance? What does it really mean to us today? He will be great. You know, there are a lot of people in history who have been called great. You've heard of, how many of you have heard of Alexander the Great? 
I mean, what kind of person would take that title, The Great? Basil the Great. You know, that person called The Great. A lot of people. I mean, there's quite a competitive area over there, The Great. And when you look at this word in the original, it's actually the Greek word megas. Like, we, you know, when we speak of somewhere, you know, um, when we think of stores and shops and malls and we think of, okay, that place is, we call it, we can call it like a hyper or a superstore. But the, the biggest is the mega store. The mega store, you can get anything, whatever you want. One thing I love about America is there's lots of mega stores where you can walk in and you can walk out loaded with mega stuff. And you know the thing I love about Jesus is Jesus is like, he's not like that little corner shop. When you come to Jesus, you've got everything. The Bible says in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, when you've got Jesus in your life, you actually don't need anything else. Do you guys agree with that? When you've got Jesus, you've got everything. And that's really what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about because it says that in Christ, in Him, you and me, we've got every single possible blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I think, I think sometimes we get wrong thinking, kind of, you know, just sometimes a little bit of corrupt programming in our minds, and, and we start to convince ourselves, like, if I just had that, my life would be complete. If I just had that thing, or if I could just fast forward my life to that point when that is going to happen. I know when I was in, in high school, I kept living in the future. When, when I'm finished school, I hated school. When I finish school, then my life starts. And, and some of us, you know, we get that, oh, my life starts, will start when I got that. Uh, and you, you, what it actually does to you is that you spend your life thinking you're incomplete. If you got Jesus in your life, you are complete. In fact, it even says it in the Scriptures, you are complete in Him. Do you know, as a leader, I can tell you, one of the big, big strategies of Satan against leaders is to make you look at another leader and think, if I was just like him, if I just had what he has, that's a lie. You are complete in Christ. And it's Jesus that qualifies you and me. And so we shouldn't have those kind of mindsets about us. We are complete in Him. Now, do you believe that Jesus is great? I do. But you know, not everyone on earth believes that, do they? And I think one of our tasks on this earth is just to convince the world that Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest of the greatest. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. But people have challenged that. I remember reading once, I don't know if, if any of you like that band called The Beatles. Maybe some of you just thought the music was awful, but people love them. And, and John Lennon like, was so full of himself, and when they were just riding that big wave of success in the 1960s, and he in an interview in 19. 66, he said these words, he said, Christianity will go, it will vanish and shrink, we 
the Beatles are more popular than Jesus. Now, granted, you were saying that that was the hippie era, Woodstock, and all that thing, and it did seem like the church had just lost its connection with society, with the world, and yeah, Christianity was kind of like at a low point. But you know, it was just two or three years later, after John Lennon said those words, we are more popular than Jesus, that a group of hippies somewhere in California got saved, started meeting together, formed a commune, and woohoo, the Jesus revolution started. Day after day, week after week, revival was breaking out across California. People were getting saved 500 per baptism service. People, churches were springing up everywhere. It was amazing what was taking place. They estimated in a short space of time, not long after John Lennon said those words, that two million people got saved and converted and added to the church just in America. And that revival spread all around and even to Cape Town. Jesus is the great. Jesus is the great. And, uh, you know, I love that because... You know the history of John Lennon, he got assassinated, and I don't know what the sales of John Lennon's books are today, but I can tell you the Bible outshines them all. And you know, next week we celebrate Christmas. There's no public holiday called Lennon Miss. There isn't, right? Jesus today, even in this year, 2023, is great. In fact, the very year we're living in is saying 2,023 years from his birth. Jesus is great. And um, I really want to ask you, is Jesus great in your life? Is he the most important part of your week, your day? Is your life all about Jesus? Because that is really what Gabriel is saying to Mary is he will be great in our lives. Secondly, he will reign. Jesus will reign. And that passage is in verse um, 33. And it says there, as, as verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus was born a king. Jesus was conceived as a king. When we use that title, King of Kings, we are establishing who He is. Now, you know in your Bible, you've got those Old Testament books called Kings. First Kings and Second Kings. You've got the books that followed called Chronicles. First Chronicles, Second the Chronicles of the Kings. The Bible gives a lot of attention to kings. And, you know, when you read, there were about 20 kings that from the time of Saul going on to David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and that, but 20 kings of Judah who reigned in Jerusalem. And they all came and went, and what, what's really interesting when you read the book of Kings is you read about their good points, and you read about their bad points. You read their highs, and you read of their lows. And even the most spiritual king, who would you say in that, in the kings, who would be the most spiritual 
King David. And even King David had his lows, had his bad points. There was no perfect king who ever lived. And at one occasion, it was prophesied to David, and it was said, David, from your descendants will come forth a son to sit on your throne to be king forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, I don't know what David thought of that saying, but how can he be king forever? Because I'm getting old. My son Solomon, he's not going to live forever. Who, how, who, how can this happen? And the answer is, the Son of God would become the Son of Man, would come to sit upon the throne of David. Now, that's still future, by the way. Jesus is not sitting on the throne of David today. But when he returns, when he comes, when he establishes his kingdom, he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. That's what Revelation tells us. And we know Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 6 and 7, it says, unto us a child is born, a son is given. And it says to him, is it up there? Okay. And it says, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And we as the church, do you know, to realize that every single person that gets saved and added to Josh Jen Weinberg, we are increasing the kingdom of God. And every boy or girl that gets saved, we are increasing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is growing and growing. It is government and peace. There will be no end. Now listen, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's going to be God. Earth has got a good future, actually, if you think about it. Bad future, but good future. Because Jesus is going to reign. He's going to rule. You know, when I look at kings or even today presidents or leaders, you know, you can really measure a leader of three things. The first is, does he do good? The good he does the second, does he stop bad? Does he stop evil? And the third is, does he deal with crises? How does he deal with problems? Is he a problem solver? Now, don't think about our president right now, okay? But the fact is, just think how many years our president has been trying to solve that ESCOM problem. Is it still with us today? Still with us today. I think of the head of the, the UN, United Nations. He, he became, took the seat, I think it was 2017, 2018. He's had quite a long stretch. Antonio Guterres, I think his name is. And as the Secretary General of the UN, I mean, that's one of the biggest positions on earth. All the influence that he has. And you know, one of the big mandates of the United Nations is peace on earth. How peaceful is our earth today? Well, just think, we've got two big wars going on at the moment, in, one in Europe, 
one in the Middle East. And in fact, if you do a little Google search, you'll discover there's actually a hundred little wars going on around the world today. In South America, in Africa, Europe, all over. There's war. Do you know why there's war? Because Antonio Guterres is not the Prince of Peace. He might hold a position like that, but he is not the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And you measure a good leader by three things. Number one, does Jesus do good? He's a good leader. Does he stop bad? Yes, he stopped bad in my life. I mean, if you had met me when I was 18, and you look at me and you say, like, wow, what a miracle. And I know some of you, I look at you last week and I'm like, what a miracle. Does he stop bad? Jesus stops bad. He gives us victory over sin in our lives. Does he stop crises? Yes. Does he deal with problems? Yes. Think about the problem of that husband and wife that were celebrating their wedding and they ran out of wine. Did Jesus, was he the problem solver? Gave them wine. Or those people that were hungry for three days and not eating. And there was a problem. The disciples came to Jesus. What shall we do? What can we do here? We've got no bread, no food. Jesus said, hey, bring that little sack lunch to me. And Jesus dealt with the problem. There were the problem of the lepers, that their bodies were covered in leprosy. Jesus solved the problem. He dealt with it. The blind man, Zacchaeus, uh, Bartimaeus, you think of every single Peter's mother-in-law that had a fever. Jesus is the world's greatest leader, the world's greatest problem solver. And the number one problem that Jesus has dealt with already has been the problem of sin. The fact that sin keeps you and me out of God's kingdom and Jesus died on the cross to solve the problem of sin. What an amazing Savior he is. He is great. He will reign. Now, I wonder if there are any of you that right now, as we are ending out this year, that there's some problem in your life, some crises, something that you are grappling with. I just want to encourage you, bring that problem to Jesus. Take it to the Lord because He is the problem solver. He is the one that can deal with that problem. And maybe you've even been trying to figure out that problem. You're trying to be dealing with that problem in your own strength. And Jesus says, just bring it to me. Bring me that issue. Bring me that problem. Well, as Gabriel is telling Mary all these things, and you're going to have a baby. And Mary is like, I'm a virgin. How? How will this be? And, and I think she's just flabbergasted. How? This is great, but how? How will these things happen? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And here's the third truth about Jesus, is he will be holy. The Lord Jesus is holy. Now, here was the big problem. It's not just how will a virgin have a child, but how will this child be holy? 
Because, you know, we live in a world that's corrupted by sin. And sin gives birth to sin. That's why, you know, it's actually quite convenient, this truth, because you can blame your parents for everything. Why are you like this? Well, it's my parents. They made me this way. The truth is, it's really because in, in David, when he declared Psalm 51, if you have it, Tracy, in verse 5, and it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And, and I like the way he didn't say, in the womb did my mother conceive me, but he says, in sin, meaning that even the womb itself is sin. And whatever of humanity gives birth to humanity is sin. And so there's never been in the history of the world, apart from this account, somebody who's ever given birth to somebody that's not a sinner. It always happens that way. You see, sin has corrupted our whole human race all the way from Adam and Eve all the way to you and me today. When I was a, a young boy, my, my grandfather used to love racing pigeons, and uh, he, he was fanatical about it, and he had all these cages full of pigeons, and I sometimes, I'd wake up early in the morning, and he lived on a farm, and I'd, I'd go into the pigeon coops, and I'd kind of go walking around, and I remember one occasion, there were all the little pigeon nests, and I saw an egg on the ground, and, and so I, I picked up the egg, and I wanted to feel if that egg was warm, and I took the egg, and I was trying to feel if it was warm, and as I put my hand around it, the egg just like fell apart, and it was rotten. It was gray liquid that kind of just went all over my hands, and as that egg broke, this horrible stench filled my nostrils, and I was like, ugh, and uh, I ran out of there, and I washed my hands, and the smell was there, and I used that Life Boy soap, and the smell was there, and that day, because as I went walking to the room, and my parents woke up, they're like, what's that smell, and I'm like putting my hand behind my back, and we had to leave that day, so we had to go on a the trip, and I remember my mother washing my hand with every detergent known to man. I mean, like, I'm sure she even used laundry soap and Jay's fluid and everything. That smell would not go away at all. It was with me. It was part of me. And it's still there. Uh, and when, I, when I, I think about that, I, re, I remember driving, my dad had a very sensitive nose, and he's like, it's like, get your hand out of this car, and we're driving, I'm in the back seat, and I had to drive the whole journey, my dad opened the window that much, I had to stick my hand out, <laughs> just because the smell was so awful, and really, if you think about it, that is, sin has corrupted us, all of us, so how could a holy Holy, pure, spotless Son, Jesus, be born in a corrupted womb? The answer is right over there. Where the angel says the Holy Spirit will do it, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, if you think about it, there's 
really, and there's two schools of theological thought here, how this could happen. How could the baby be born? And the one is that the Holy Spirit came and fertilized one of the eggs that was in Mary. And that egg became the embryo and that became Jesus. The other school of thought, which I kind of more lean to, is that the entire embryo was planted into the womb of Mary. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the second Adam. That so, that whole life was planted. So, in a fact, that Mary, or, yeah, that Mary hadn't passed on her DNA to Jesus, which was corrupted. Some say, and the Catholics like to say that sin passes by the father, but not by the mother. I don't believe that. I've got three daughters. But when you think about it, the fact that Jesus didn't often, when he did refer to Mary, he didn't say mom or mother. He said woman. And when they came on one occasion and they said, hey, Jesus, your, your mother and brothers, they yet to say, Jesus' first response, who's my mother? Interesting. The Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus speaking, and he says to the Father, a body you prepared for me. And the way that Jesus came into this world, yes, Mary, in a sense, was the surrogate mother. Jesus was in the womb of Mary, born to man, body created by God for the purposes of being holy. And so Jesus was conceived holy. Jesus was born holy. Jesus lived a holy life, his entire life on earth, even as a teenager. Isn't that remarkable? Think of your teenage years. Amazing, isn't it? So, when you think about this, Jesus, this holy one who was born without any sin and corruption, the fact that fast forward some years later that Jesus could be gathered in that upper room with his disciples and celebrate the Lord's Supper and say, take, this is my body given for you. What kind of body? A holy body uncorrupted by sin. Drink from this, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. Blood untainted by sin. How can you and me have a perfect salvation? Only if we have a perfect Savior. And that perfect Savior is someone who never, ever, ever sinned. You know, if you look around on the floors here, you'll notice there's a lot of brown marks. What are those brown marks over here? These little circles. You guys know, don't you? Those are knots, okay? And with every one of these knots on the wood is something that should have happened but didn't happen. You see, every one of those knots was at some point a branch that was growing, but for some reason it had become broken off and a bit of rottenness had spread around there and, and so that knot was formed, the reason for the darker color. And there really, I think about our lives this way. It's nice to have illustrations here in this place. Look at this. You can see it. But this is really our lives. And, you know, don't only think... Don't only think about your life as, you know, the sins I did, but just think of the opportunities I missed. 
Because every one of those there represents a missed opportunity, something that never grew to full size, never became what it should have been. And you know, in a room like this, I can see a lot of people, myself included, that something should have happened that didn't happen, something should have been that never was, and we've, in so many ways, we could have been all missing our destinies. But the fact is that we've got a perfect Savior who can restore every missed opportunity. And out of all of those missed things and what we should have been and the fruit that we should have borne that we didn't, Jesus comes in and He clears up all the mess. And He makes us new creations in Him. And you say amen to Jesus for that? Amen. What an awesome. So... I want to finish here and just say to you that, you know, when you look at Mary and Elizabeth, and I think, I think there's, and I felt the Holy Spirit just really telling me, say this to them, point it out, is that it would have been so easy for Mary and Elizabeth to miss what God had for them. And how can we as believers, as we ending out this year, preparing for a new year, how can you and I make sure that we walk in everything that Jesus has for us? How can we? It's the same way, Mary. And you see, I've, I've, I really think there's two things in, in my life and two things in your life that can really make you miss out on what God has for you. And the first is unholiness. If there's impurity and, and there's just... Like there's sin, and that sin can so block us from what Jesus wants to do. And then the second thing is unbelief. Yeah, Jesus, I know you can do it for her, you can do it for her, but not for me. No, Jesus, you couldn't do that through me. And you know, Mary and Elizabeth both could have had legitimate excuses for not walking in everything that God had for them. Elizabeth could say, I'm old, I'm retired, I'm past the years. And Mary could have just said, I'm a virgin. I'm too young. I'm not even married. But instead of that, notice the words. As it's told to Mary, and Mary responds, and in verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am God's servant. And if you would take that posture and say, God, I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve you, God. What is your will? What is your purpose? And the second, can you say, let it be to me according to your word? Because I believe that God has so much for you and for me if we would just walk into it. And notice Gabriel didn't say to Mary, you are pregnant, this baby is in you. No, Gabriel was telling her what was to be. You see, Mary could have pulled the handbrake up at that point. Whoa, no, 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 choose someone else. But Mary says, let it be to me according to you. And from that moment, Mary could conceive. And I believe for you and for me, God brings us to that point where we have to say those very words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you know in the back of one of my old Bibles, 
on the last page, one of those white pages. As a young man, I've got the words written, Jesus is Lord of my surfing. At that very point, on that day, when I wrote those words, I was a surf addict like no other. All I could think about, my Lord was surfing. My world was surfing. That was everything. And Jesus brought me to a meeting where I realized that thing is an idol in your life. And I laid it down before the Lord, and I said, God, this is no longer going to be an idol. I'm laying it down. I'm stopping surfing for a point. And there was this long season of no surfing. And I said, I'm laying it down. And Jesus, today, you are Lord of my surfing. And you know what God did? That same day, God called me into ministry. All he was waiting was me just to lay that thing down and that I could walk into what he had for me. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Just think about it. Is Jesus great in your life? Is he reigning? Is he ruling? Thirdly, he is holy. He's making you holy. He's making me holy. And so I want to bless you guys as we close. And I want to bless you with exactly what Elizabeth said to Mary in verse 45. She said, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do you believe that this morning, that God will fulfill everything He has promised and He's predestined for your life? Do you believe it? Will you walk in it? Well, why don't we consecrate ourselves to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to His word. Father, let's bow our heads together. Father, as we come before you, and Lord, we want to acknowledge today the person of Jesus. And we want to acknowledge, Lord, that you are great, that you reign, that you are coming back again to sit upon David's throne forever and ever. And Lord, that you are holy. And you are, Lord, in the process of creating a holy church, a holy people so that we can walk into everything that you have for us and for our lives. And perhaps you're here this day and you really want to bring yourself to a place like Mary where Jesus can begin. And maybe you've even got desires that God has planted in your heart. Desires for His glory. Desires to be used by Him. And maybe there are things that have been holding you back Maybe it's just a lack of faith. God, I can't see it. God never asked you to see it. He asked you to believe it. Maybe there's something in your life where, where you've just been over and over comparing yourself to others and looking and it's just like, oh, I'm nothing. My life doesn't. Oh, I'm too old. I'm too young. And maybe you've had all those excuses. So you can, and Jesus is saying to you today, put away the excuses. Look to me. Trust me. I'm going to do it. And maybe you're here today and you just, yeah, I know a little bit about Jesus, but I don't consider myself his servant. And Jesus is saying to you today by his spirit, I have called you just like I called Mary, just like I called Elizabeth, that 
I want to use your life. I want to work inside of you. I want to be glorified on this earth through you. You are the one that I'm choosing. I want you to be my servant. And perhaps today you need to say and make a declaration. Today I'm going to walk away from sin. I'm going to walk away from unbelief. I'm going to walk away from doubt. And I'm going to come to Jesus. And I'm going to say like Mary, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How many years has God still got ahead for you? Won't you write here? One of the last Sundays of, of this year, say, God, I want, to, I want something new to happen in my life. And I want, I want to be part of your big plan on this planet. I want to pray this. And if that's you, just stand where you are and say, behold, as you stand, I'm making a declaration. I'm the servant of the Lord. And behold, as you stand, let it be to me. The destiny, what I want, must, what I have to walk in. Let it be to me according to your word, your promise. I look to you to fulfill. Will you stand?